You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Good morning. I love your accent. Um, great to be able to spend some time. Why do you, you go ahead, grab your Bibles and turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses uh, 14 to 18. While you're looking uh, that up, just maybe a little bit of context for what we're going to be looking about this morning. We're really looking about a list of things uh, for God's people as we gather together. The kind of church we seek to be, the kind of church we want to be. Uh, when we planted Harvest Glasgow nearly 15 years ago, um, we started with 16 people and church planting was still a kind of a weird thing. Uh, we've the Lord's allowed us to see that grow over the last uh, last while, and and as Kai as Kai said, we were able to plant Harvest Air um, uh, two years ago. They just had their second birthday, and maybe some little statistics just to give you a little bit of an understanding um, of the context that we're in. I, and I recognise in some ways it's very familiar to the context, or very similar to the context uh, that you are serving the Lord in here in Canada as well. Um, there's there's a recent article in the Spectator um, Journal uh, which, which predicted that every mainstream historic denomination in the United Kingdom will, be, will, will cease to exist in the next 20 years. Um, in the last 15 years in Scotland, where we serve, over 1,800 churches have closed their doors. And there's a statistic that's doing the rounds, it's been kicking around, that in order for us to get back in Scotland to the state of gospel health with gospel churches that we were 30 years ago, we would need to plant some 6,000 churches in order to just get back to where we were 30 years ago. And so that's what church planting looks like in a post-Christian culture and context. And so there's a desperate need, and we feel that need as a church, that desperate need to plant churches in Scotland, but not just to plant church. But the question is not just what are we going to plant churches or not, it's what kind of churches are we going to plant? What church, kind of church are Harvest Glasgow and Harvest Air going to be? What kind of churches are we going to look to plant from our rooted churches network, as we're calling it? Um, and, that, and really, First Thessalonians 5, verses 14 to 18 give us a little bit of a sense of that. The kind of church that we're called to be, the, church of call, church, the kind of church that we're called. So all Canadians are really Scottish by descent, right? So we get that. So we're all the same. Can we just agree on that? Um, forgive, forgive me if you come from another background. Um, so we have the opportunity to, to consider what kind of church do we, or do we long to be? What kind of churches do we long to see happening and, and growing from our churches? So and with all of that said, uh, this is what God's word has to say to us this morning. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me pray and then we'll think about these things uh, together. Father, we're thankful to you for what we've been able to, uh, to sing to you this morning. Um, 
what an awesome thing it is to be able to trust you with all things and to know that you go before us and you surround us. Uh, and Father, we want to live lives that reflect the reality of that. And, and so as we turn to your word now, we ask, would you help us not just to give um, your word attention with our ears, but you would help us to give um, your word attention with our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what kind of church do we want to be? Um, and what we're going to look at this morning, we've got a list of nine things, Okay. So, nine-point sermon in 40 minutes in order to allow the second service to come here. Or, and so we don't end up with two people, two groups of people all together, uh, people coming in halfway through my sermon. That would be unhelpful. So, nine things that characterize the kind of gospel churches that we long to see, that characterize the kind of culture that we long to see happening amongst, that God's word directs us to long to have amongst our church. And, and so he starts off, we ask you brothers, so whenever it says the word brothers or sisters, it's saying, hey, family, family, Pay attention to this. We are urging you as a family to consider these things. What are your family values going to be? How are you going to interact with one another as family? And how is that going to reflect as a witness in front of a watching world? What is the world going to see when they look at this church? What's it going to look like? What's the, church going to, what's the world going to see when it looks at Harvest Glasgow, uh, where we come from? What's it going to see? What's it going to ex- how is it going to experience you? And I and how you experience one another. That's really what this, this passage is directing us to, to see. So he says, we urge you, brothers. So it's not just, okay, oh, you can pick and choose whether you do this or not. You can, you, can, you can select from a list. It's not like you're going to a cheese board and you're figuring out, okay, I want this, this, and this, but definitely not that. Okay? All of these things are urgent needs in the life of the local church. All of these things we're going to think about this morning are urgent callings upon us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we are called to be part of a church family. So we urge you, brothers, we are calling upon you as a family to do these things. And and, and all of this might invite us to ask a question of ourselves right at the beginning around about the kind of spiritual urgency that we have. I noticed as I walked into the worship center this morning, you have this theme for the ministry year, all in. Uh, and so all, that invites us to con- that you've already been invited by your church leadership here to consider the level of spiritual urgency that you're expressing and living out. So when did you last experience spiritual urgency, and what was that about? Was it about something that eternally matters? What, are you giving your life to things that matter eternally? When did we last experience spiritual urgency, and what was that about? And in case you think that this might not apply to you this morning, these list of nine things might not apply to you, let me invite you to just fast forward a little bit into verse 27. It says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the family, all the brothers. Okay, so why? Because it's an urgent need for all of us. It's, he's, he's saying, promise me you're going to re- make, make, make everybody pay attention to these things to give attention to these things. So nine things that matter enough that there is a specific promise demanded in God's word around them. 
Um, so, so we're going to think about nine things under three categories, okay? So you've got a three or a nine thing, okay? Three-point sermon, nine-point sermon. I'm all about options, okay? <laughs> but these are, they're, they're, so there's, there's nine things that are things to do with, well, here's the first lot. Some things that are to do with being entrusted with the care of the souls around me. Just in case I've already bored people to sleep, give the person next to you a little nudge, if you would, just for a moment, serve me in that, okay? I know I have a very gentle Scottish accent and it feels like you're listening to a storybook, okay? (laughs) Maybe a fairy story even, give them a little nudge, make sure they're still with me, please, okay? The person you just nudged, the people who are being nudged around you just now, do you realize this? You've been entrusted with the care of the souls of those around you. And, and, and so there's four ways that four, the first four things in our list this morning are things that help us to do that. They're a toolbox for taking the privilege that we have of doing life with one another for Jesus seriously. List number one, item number one in us, I'm willing to challenge complacency in you. That's the first thing we're invited to see. I'm willing to challenge complacency in you. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Challenging complacency. The word admonish here describes instructing, rebuking, even warning. It is seeking to influence someone to a place of spiritual strength and safety. You get to do that with somebody. You get to influence, use all of your relational relational influence with them to bring them to a place of spiritual strength and safety. That's what we get to do with one another. What a privilege. Particularly the target group in mind here is a group described as being idle. Again, this is an interesting word because it describes people who are unruly, disorderly, lazy. They're living a little bit out of control. They're not living in a a life of clear focus and discipline for the Lord. And And what we're being directed to see here is that we are called to seek to redirect those who have dropped out of the spiritual race, who are who are not paying any attention to their spiritual lives. They're just coasting along, not thinking about any of the things in this list. They're not thinking about what kind of investment. And we get to say to them, hey, come and join in. This is an awesome thing that the Lord has called us to do together. The encouragement here is to be, clear, the encouragement here is to be clear, clearly and carefully calling those around us to take spiritual responsibility. And we shouldn't also miss that this, is t- that this is telling us something as well. If there is a need for those who are not taking spiritual responsibility, who are living spiritually complacent lives, who are acting like spiritual consumers to be challenged, then there, then there is a need before we even go and start having that conversation to consider if those things are true in our lives as well. There's a need for you and I to, to, be, to consider, to, un- to understand that God's word expects us to take spiritual responsibility to avoid spiritual complacency and to make a significant contribution rather than sitting on our spiritual backsides. That we are called to invest in these things together so that we are cheerleaders for the Lord's work in one another's lives. Bob Kellerman describes what this is talking about helpfully. He says, he describes it as caring, cautionary communication to ward off wondering, okay? Caring, cautionary communication. That's how we speak. Caring and cautioning communication with the goal of warding off wondering. I'm not sure how much of that translated with my accent, but hopefully you got there. Repeating it helps, right? 
caring, cautionary communication to ward off wandering. The instruction is to be ready to caution one another against lazy, apathetic, complacent, consumeristic Christianity. Boo to that. We're called to live out, apply ourselves to, commit to, and contribute to the local church as an expression of how Christ has transformed our lives. Has he? Has he changed your life? Has he? Live like it. Encourage one another to live like it. We're called to consider if we're living like that, we're called to call one another to that because we get to. What a privilege. Number, that's number one. Number two on our list. I'm going to seek ways to strengthen you. Okay? We get to say that to one another. We get to say these things to one another when we look at one another. I'm going to see, even, even we're not saying it, we're saying, I'm, I'm going to seek ways to strengthen the people who are sitting around about me. I'm going to seek ways to strengthen you. <clears throat> so we're to admonish the idle. We're to encourage the faint-hearted. That's the next thing it directs us to, to think about what we're doing. I'm going to seek ways to strengthen you. More than we realize, we are surrounded by people who are in great, everyone say great. Okay, those three of you agreed with that, okay? Okay, after three, one, two, three. There we are. In great need of encouragement. Ray Ortland, the Christian writer, said this, I've never met anyone too encouraged, never once. Right? I've never met anyone too encouraged, never once. So there's a general need for us to consider how we can encourage and build one another up. Alongside that, alongside that, this verse encourages us to see that there will be people right now in this room who you might not even imagine are in great, maybe even desperate need of encouragement. Right now, round about you, there are people who need encouragement. The word faint-hearted here describes someone who is discouraged or disheartened. It, it can also involve being timid. It literally means little of soul. It's uh, the, the idea of a shrinking soul in the face of all that might fa- in, the, in the face of all that is coming against them. A heart shrinking in the face of something. So what is being described here? Is encur- and, and, and encouraging the faint-hearted is. Is, is literally putting heart into the person who's losing heart or brokenhearted. So, so we might ask if we are willing to commit ourselves to place ourselves in the kind of situations or context where we might be able to find that kind of detail about somebody's life. To find out that kind of detail about somebody's life. That's why in our church in Harvest Glasgow, and I know in this church here, small groups are such an important part. If you're not part of a small group, you can't expect to do the kind of things that First Thessalonians 5 is encouraging you to, think, to, to do. Putting yourself in, a, in proximity to, the, to people in such a way as allows you to build encouragement into their lives to find out where they need help. To, to put ourselves in the kind of context where we might find out where they're small of heart, and need heart put into them. If we are to live out what the Lord is saying to us through his word, then we need a line of sight on those who are described here as being faint-hearted. Do you have that? And also we need a level of honesty when we are the ones so described. 
So this is encouraging us away from an arm's length Christianity where we hold everybody at arm's length and if somebody, or, or when somebody tries to get close to us, it's like we punch them in the face in order to protect in, a, in a, an act of self, what we think is self-protection. But this is encouraging us to see that that arm's length thing is not self-protection, it's self-destruction. There's a consistent picture of putting something, and, and, and both of those instructions to admonish the idol and to encourage the faint-hearted, there's a consistent picture of putting something into, investing something in, into the mind of the idol, into the heart of the discouraged, in order that they would live and cling to the Lord. Live for and cling to the Lord. Okay, number three, I want to be close enough to see when you're struggling. Okay, so that's a, maybe a, an extension of what we've just thought about, but I want to be close enough to see when you're struggling. Help the weak. What, we're, what is being encouraged here is to have eyes to see the struggling and to seek ways to support them. The weak are those who are struggling under limited capacity, maybe because of circumstance, maybe because of health, maybe because of something. Maybe, maybe it's because of maturity. It could be a bunch of different things. They might be sick. They might be enduring challenging circumstance. Regardless, our job, the job, your job, our job as a church, which means your job as the church, is to uphold them and support them. The chief aspect of this help is to strengthen their hold on Jesus. That's the way you help them. So we offer practical help. We are present for them. We are praying for them. And we are pointing them to Jesus and his promises. We see them and we serve them. We stand with them in their struggle. But most of all, we show them Jesus. We're sitting like family. And in amongst that, sitting like family, not like strangers. Okay? So here's a little test case for this. How do you choose your seat when you arrived? How did you choose your seat when you arrived here this morning? Well, an usher chose my seat for me. Okay, okay. I get it. Are you arriving early enough to be able to get a selection of seats maybe? But in amongst that, we stand with them. Are you, how do you choose your seat on a Sunday? What does that communicate? Who, are you, who do you sit beside? Who do you look out for? When, we, when the service finishes, who do you hang out with? Are you looking for the people on the edges and the fringes? Are you caring for the people who look as if they're struggling, the people who are standing on their own? Or are you gravitating to the people you feel most comfortable with because you know them? Are you looking for, are you looking, are you, are you, you maybe have a welcome team here as part of the church, but is your whole church a welcome team? So I want to be close enough to see when, when, when you're struggling. Number four, last thing under this, this care piece, I'm going to be persistently, patiently persistent with you. I'm going to be patiently persistent, per, patiently persistent with you. So we're to uh, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, then be patient with them all, which is, that, let's face it, that's the easiest one of the lot, right? Patience is the thing we find easiest in the whole world. Not really, but what a helpful little section this is. What a helpful a little phrase God's word, God has put in his word here for us. Where, pre, where the previous things are action and application, this is about the attitude that is to underpin our approach to the kind of care we give to one another. Be patient. What does that mean? Well, it means hang in there. Don't give up. Don't back out. Don't quit. Patient in such a way as informs our approach. Patience does not exclude persistence. In fact, it endorses it. Keeping out of it is not patience, by the way. 
Keeping out of it is not patience. Keeping on looking for ways to do it is patience. To stay in someone's life, to stay in the conversation, to continue to extend grace. We, we flew in yesterday, I don't, don't even remember what time it was, yesterday from, Gla- from Glasgow um, after like 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 hours of traveling, whatever it was, and we arrived and um, the baggage all comes out and it's on this carousel going around and round. My bag, I thought, we, we temporarily thought I'd lost my bags coming in, which was, would have been really inconvenient, but I was watching people as the carousel was going around and then somebody, you know, somebody, the bag comes around and there's this massive scrum of people going in Somebody misses their bag and they have to wait for it to go all the way around again so they get another bite at the cherry to try to get back and haul off of the, off of the carousel. Okay, and so there's a level of patience in there, but that's not the kind of patience that this is talking about. It's not saying, okay, well, I'm going to wait until they come back around again until I can give them a piece of my mind or I can wait for them to come back around again until I can say them what I, tell them what I really think. Okay, that's not what it's talking about, okay? That's not the kind of patience that's in mind here. Okay, it's not the patience of the luggage carousel. It is rather keeping a line of sight on those who are called to love. It's staying invested. It's showing faithfulness. It's continuing to pray. It's refusing to, to be anything other than present for them. Patient with them all. That's the encouragement. Patience with those who are inactive and lazy. Patiently urging them to pursue Jesus with their whole lives. Patient with the faint-hearted, waiting and walking with them through the things that are making them, them wilt. I'm not going anywhere. That's what this patience says. It's, it's, it's mirroring the kind of patience that Jesus has shown to you where he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We get to reflect that into one another's lives by adopting that same attitude that Jesus showed to us. It's readily asking the question, if God was as patient with me as I am being with that person right now, how much trouble would I be in? And that thought brings us neatly to the next set of instructions. If the first list were about the heart work, the next are about embracing the hard work of living the gospel in our relationships uh, with one another. Look at verse 15 with me, would you? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to good, do good to one another and to everyone. What are we doing here? I'm encouraging mercy where relationships get messy. So if you're in a three-point plan, that's your second point, Okay. I'm encouraging mercy where relationships get messy. I'm encouraging mercy where relationships get messy. I've got a little picture for you, which I can try to draw on my iPad, okay? So this is, I think, how it works, okay? So we were designed for community. God created us for community. And in that community, when we're living in community, when you go back to uh, how God created community, it was mirrored on the Trinity. It's expressed in the perfection of Eden and Adam and Eve, with where relationship and righteousness are the chief characteristics of godly gospel community. But what happens is we're people, so we have a significant capacity for messing it up. And so what happens is our sin is expressed or we, have, or we experience sin. So we, we, sin is expressed and sin is experienced. And what that does is it puts us at loggerheads with one another. It puts us in conflict with one another. It creates the big red circle, brokenness is what it does. And with that brokenness comes sorrow and separation. It creates sorrow and separation. And the only remedy for that is this Bible characteristic called grace. 
So rather than sin being expressed and sin being experienced, we have an opportunity in that moment of brokenness to express grace and to experience grace. And, are we, well, and we need to be willing to do both of those things, to express grace to one another, but also to receive grace. We're not holding one another at arm's length, like we said earlier on. And when, we, when grace is exper- expressed and grace is experienced, then we have restoration. The gospel comes in, becomes the foremost characteristic of our relationships with one another, with one another, and grace becomes the, the, the watchword of everything that we do with one another. And out of that comes forgiveness and a renewed commitment to be faithful to one another, forgiveness and faithfulness. And we come back to the circle, circle of community of relationship and righteousness. But we need, and that's the cycle we're going to be in for the rest of our days until we reach eternity. And we need to keep on coming back to the gospel and we need to keep on coming back to grace and we need to keep on reminding what Jesus did for us when he died for us on the cross. So that's what we're saying. I'm encouraging mercy where relationships get messy. We're being directed here to be defined by what God has done in our lives and also to defend what God would do among his people. If the first call, first call is a call to directive diligence, this is call, a call to discerning defense. So item number five, if you're in the nine-point program or if you're still working through that last time, vigilant for vengeful or vindictive tendencies. And not just in other people. And myself first. So when it says, well, when it says, see that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil. See that, when it says see that, we're being directed, what we're being directed to do is make sure that, make sure, make sure of something. This is something that requires us to take comprehensive care of our hearts, of our mouths, and of one another. That's what we're to be about. The desire for revenge and retribution or retaliation tends to be strong when we think we've been wronged we very quickly see the need for payback to those who have caused us pain. This is telling us something different. It's pointing us towards a gospel way of living around about these things. This is telling us to help one another and to keep a handle on ourselves when it comes to these things. See that no one, not you, not the people around you, repays anyone. Now that's a reminder that our work on this is not just confined to church life. When it says anyone, the desire for retaliation or revenge doesn't just need restraint here. We need to be restrained in regards to those things when we're out in the world because it is a matter of our witness to the world. So we need, so we encourage mercy. So the classic definition of mercy is someone not receiving what they deserve for the wrong they have done, not getting what they deserve. So when we encourage mercy, it's because we want to engage one one another's hearts with the gospel. We want to remind one another of the gospel. We show mercy as the response to the mercy we've been abundantly shown in Jesus. And And ultimately we know, and even in a logical sense, we know that no one wins when two parties get bogged down in doing and showing their worst. A struggle between two sinful hearts is not going to settle or or, or solve anything unless the gospel is brought to bear upon it. So So this is talking about not taking matters into our own hands, learning to entrust those things to the Lord by dealing with them in a way that displays the gospel and glorifies Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Because number six, I'm going to get after doing good. 
So I'm going to be vigilant for vengeful or vindictive tendencies is number five. So we're going to run, we're going to flee from those things. And rather than those things, I'm going to get after doing good. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And not just when we feel like it. Not just when it's convenient. Always, at all times, it's what, it's ta- it's what it says. We're, it's what it says. We're to seek to, good, to, to do good to one another in the church and to everyone, any person God might bring our way and, or, insert, or insert in our lives. There's an active element being encouraged here. Seek it, pursue it, press forward after it. Actively look, apply yourself in the pursuit of opportunities to be a blessing to one another and to everyone. And keeping the context in mind, that is designed to include those who may have wronged us. Irrespective of who people are and their status in our lives, there's a direction here to, about what we get to extend to them. How do, we, how do people experience you? Do they experience grace? Do they experience generosity? Do they experience you giving yourself to the Lord by how you are with them? And the third category describes being fully engaged in our relationship with God. So we've thought a lot about our relationships with one another, but ultimately that always flows from where we are at in our relationship with him. I'm, I'm fully engaged in my relationship with God. And this seems like a good time to ask, are you? Are you fully engaged in your relationship with God? And it's a good time for me to ask myself, am I fully engaged in my relationship with God? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What does it look like to be fully engaged in a relationship with God? Well, number seven tells, tells us part of that. I'm asking God to develop a deeper delight within me. Rejoice always. Would you be willing to do that? To ask, to invite God to develop a deeper delight in you? One of the best things you can ask God for is an increasing delight in who, he, in who he is and what he has done for you. It's like we said earlier on, it's an awesome thing to be able to sing to the Lord together. To, and that gives us a, a, a unique opportunity every week to be able to do that, to express a level of delight for what he's done for us. The idea of rejoicing is a matter of our hearts. It's a faith that is fired up. It is the evident and audible joy of a soul that has been transformed. So to rejoice, but not just again when we feel like it, not depending how our mood takes us, rejoice always. So, so we might consider in, in this the encouragement elsewhere in God's word to rejoice in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The rejoice always encouragement is that there is nothing in this life that can take away from you what is true about Jesus. And there's nothing in this life that can take away from you how he has transformed you. So when we are asking God to develop a deeper delight in us, it is so that we will have reserves of joy when things feel ruined or things feel at risk. That's what this rejoice always thing is, building reserves of joy for days of ruin and days of risk so that we are able to rejoice in those days. We, re- we, we learn to rejoice and store up the goodness of the Lord in our hearts as we reflect upon him and what he's done for us, so that we have those things siloed to pour into our lives when things get hard. 
So a deeper delight that comes from being fully engaged in knowing God better, intentionally growing your relationship with him. And maybe too, we might consider how this serves to affect how we worship. I've noted this down, make sure to let your faith tell your face. I can't remember, I think Michael was, who's, we all crew from Scotland here, I think Michael was the first person I ever heard talk about that. Make sure to tell your faith, to, to, to let your faith tell your face. Again, that might be lost in accent and translation. Hopefully you understand, let the hearer understand. Now there will be times when biblical joy. Now, now there will be times when, a, when biblical joy and a careworn or grieving face will go together. There's no question about that. The rest of the time, there should be something different about our demeanor. When you sing, what story is your face telling? When we worship together, does your demeanor display your joy in Jesus? Does it draw people with it? The reality is your demeanor will draw, more, draw people more than you realize. Rejoice always is a call to an all life, whole heart, full voice, total body declaration of how much you delight in Jesus and putting that on display. So I'm asking God to de- de- develop a deeper delight in me because that matters. Number eight, I'm asking God to help me pursue proximity to him because that matters. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Now hopefully those three words encourage you to think about what it means to have a soul proximity to God. Hopefully it stirs within you a desire for the kind of, the kind of closeness to him that makes ready and frequent conversation with him a really natural thing. This is reminding you that God is inviting you to speak to him anywhere and at any time and about anything. The, the Greek word adioleptos describes coughing or sneezing or is used of the kind of reflex of coughing or sneezing. So I don't know if you've had, I, I, as we're getting off the plane yesterday, there was a slight temperature thing and I started sneezing. I sometimes do that just when there's a change in atmosphere. I don't know why it happens, but it's like, I can't stop it. it just keeps on, achoo, achoo, achoo. It's like that. I don't know. Hands up if you sometimes get that. Okay, that was a little test case to see if folks are still with me or not. Okay, but... I, I, but that's the kind of, that kind of reflex reaction of being able to turn to God in prayer comes from that understanding the persistent proximity that he has because he loves you and is ever present with you. Another thing that's helpful in cultivating this kind of constant readiness to pray to get started in setting that upon our hearts is praying together, is being a church that prays together. Is, are you making that a priority in your life in this church? Are you the person who turns up when there's an opportunity to gather together with God's people to pray? If part of the context has been how we might help one another, then we might reasonably conclude that it would be right for us to put ourselves in the places where we can be helpful and helped in our pursuit of prayerful proximity to God. A praying church is a church of praying people. Are you that? People praying So praying people love to get to a place where people are praying. And the last thing in the list. I have no no idea how long I have gone for here. Number nine, I'm grounding who I am. We sang it in gratitude to God. I'm grounding who I am in gratitude to God. Is that the defining thing in your life. Not a job, not marriage, not your family, not your hobby, not your sports team, 
but who God is and what he's done for you. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, that we would grow to have that kind of awareness of God in the midst of whatever life throws at us. See, both good and bad circumstances. I think we miss this, that both good and bad circumstances have the capacity to obscure God's work for us. They can both serve in different ways to take our eyes off of him. So this is an important reminder. The extent of your thankfulness to God is what will define the level of investment in and surrender to the things of God that is evident in your life. Ingratitude will allow sinful sin and spiritual stubbornness to become ingrained. Unthankfulness will make you prone to be unthinking when it comes to your walk with God. Unappreciativeness will make you reluctant to apply God's word to the harder and uh, more preciously guarded sin aspects of your life. The extent of your thankfulness to God for what Jesus has done for you will largely determine how engaged you are in your relationship with him and how willing you are to accept that you're entrusted with and get to encourage spiritual growth in those around you. And that that's what it means to be the church. These things, joy and prayer and thankfulness, are evidence of our being fully engaged in our relationship with God. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we talk a lot about God's will, what is my job or my house or my job or my, what car should I buy or those kind of things. No, no, this is it. <clears throat> What's God's will for you in Christ Jesus? It tells us right here that you would be thankful in all circumstances because of who God is and what he's done for you, because of the gospel. And that's God's will for you is that you grasp that and you would share that together. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that you would be compelled to a closeness to him. He died on a cross for you and rose from the dead for you in order to give you a relationship with the living God and the promise of eternal life. What in the world is holding you back from giving and living all your life for him? I'm entrusted with the care of the souls around me. I'm encouraging mercy where relationships get messy. I'm fully engaged in my relationship with God. Can you say those things? Or is it time to go to work on the nine things on that list and say, these are the things I'm going to invest my life in. These are the things I'm going to be all in for. These are the things I want, I'm praying for the Lord to grow in me. And I'm going to seek spiritual help from my friends and church family around me to get after. Let me pray. Father, we want to just come before you as we reflect on your word and we think about what it is you would seek to create in us and from us and among us. Father, we ask, would you humble us? Would you help us to see you more clearly? Father, you help us to understand that those last things we thought about of our closeness and relationship with you are the things from which all the other things flow. So help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to worship more freely. Help us to love more fully because we have a clearer understanding of what the gospel has saved us, not just from but saved us for, that you give us purpose, you have a plan, you have a purpose. Help us to live 
those things with the, with great, with, as a great priority. Help us to be defined by these things, by who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>